turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 5. I'd like to follow along with the theme of what we're doing in Genesis. It is in this chapter that if you were ever trying to read through the Bible in a year, it's here that you perhaps got your first obstacle uh, in reading this. And you think, you know, do I really have to read all of these names? I just skip it. And, you know, one Scottish uh, pastor was reading genealogy and realized what he was reading and uh, said, you know, they kept on beginning for the next page and a half. And that was how he summarized it. And I thought, you know, it's kind of tempting for me to do the same. So, you know, let's go on to uh, maybe midway through chapter 6. And, uh, but I'm not. I, I wanted to look at this chapter because there are some important things to bring out. Now, scripture says all scripture. Uh, 2 Timothy, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, destruction, righteousness. And you start to wonder that when you read a chapter like you've got in chapter 5 and you read name after name that you can't quite pronounce, uh, and you think, what is it about this that has any kind of edification for me? I don't get it. Uh, well, I, I want to help you get it. Uh, I won't read to you all of these passages Mainly because I cannot pronounce all the names, all right? Uh, but uh, we will get, uh, we'll get the, the tone of it and the, the truth of it, and I think that will apply to your life as well. Now, as we read these things, there are some questions that will come. One question, we look at the lifespans of all these individuals, you'll see some folks live 900 some years, 800 some years, and you ask, you know, did they really live 900 years? Or is there some way to understand this symbolically? How does that work? Well, what I would share with you is that there is no clue in the passage in interpreting this to, to suggest that this is symbolic. Yes, I am saying that what this scripture is, is stating is that it is a literal 800, 900 some years. Well, if that's the case, why don't we live at least half that? You know? 450, what, what, why do we no longer do this? I think that as you read passages and you get into the flood narratives and after the flood narratives, you'll find a marked decrease in the lifespan. Uh, it's more of what you and I would know. Uh, what happened? I would suggest to you, and I talked a little bit more on this this past Wednesday, that a possible reasons of this, but I think I would suggest to you that life changed. History changed, earth changed, nature changed, the atmosphere changed as sin continued in this life, especially uh, when it came to the life of uh, the years of the flood uh, to reduce greatly the lifespan. Uh, I think that as you read in, in these first characters, these patriarchs of old, that they still had the remnants of the blessing of God on their life. Uh, sin had not impacted the genetics of who they are. Uh, disease had not been introduced to what you and I know, the mutations uh, of genes that often uh, produce or uh, that come from these diseases. Uh, the atmosphere itself was impacted uh, so that uh, life could continue on for numerous of years, uh, and that seems to be the case in Genesis chapter 5. Now, the other question that often comes is, well, you know, if this is true, then it seems like we could add up all of these years and get the, the entire earth history from creation to the flood, uh, which equals to somewhere over uh, 1,600 some years. Um, and I would say to you that 
may not be the best interpretation uh, that genealogies in the ancient history and ancient Eastern history uh, were not necessarily to be exhaustive, nor does this Genesis 5, uh, you get any indication that it is to be totaled up. For example, if you read the Kings and talk about the chronology of the years of the Kings, you will find a sum total at the end. You don't find the sum total at the end of Genesis 5 because it's not intended for that purpose of chronology, all of history, and to find out all of how many years have, have passed. Uh, but instead, they would often use these to uh, have stylized ways of bringing out truths. For example, Matthew 1, that's 14 generations. Uh, three, three sets of 14 generations for the life of Jesus. But we know that some of the names were not included because we find a, another account in First Chronicles uh, that would have messed up the symmetry. And so genealogies were not to be exhausted, but to be stylized and to bring out some points uh, theologically. So I would say you, you may not be on good interpretive grounds if you're trying to find a total. Now, let me reel you back in, all right? I'm going to try, I think that's going to be as technical as I'm going to get here, alright? Uh, but I just, I know some of you are going to ask these questions, and I felt like we needed to go there. Now, let's go to verse 1. You'll find verse 1, that phrase, this is the book of generations of Adam. That little phrase of the generations of a character, we know, because we've learned and studied through Genesis, that is a mark, let us know, a new segment. Regardless of the generations of the heavens and earth, now the generations of Adam, we'll find another one in chapter 6, verse 9. A new segment uh, that is given to us. And so, in the day that God created man, the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them, and blessed them, and called their name Adam, in the day when they were created. Now, you think, well, this sounds real familiar. We've heard this in Genesis 1. We've heard this in Genesis 2. Yes, you have. Uh, are we just so dull that we need to be told? Yes, but there's also another reason. Uh, what's going on in Genesis 4, if you remember, those of you who were with us last week, he went through the line of Cain. And in the line of Cain, he said, this is a godless generation. This is a godless lineage. Uh, they have been shunned from the presence of God because of the sins of Cain, the ways of Cain. Uh, and so, in contrast, we have Genesis 5, the line of Seth. And he lets us know that this line is the one that harkens back to the very beginning and just like Adam and Eve were made in the likeness of God, in the image of God, so too Seth and all of his descendants would be made in the image of God, and this would be a blessed lineage, the one in which God would use for, remember Genesis 3.15, for a seed who would reverse the curse, who would come back and defeat Satan and what he has done. All right? So, we get to verse 3. Adam lived 130 years, began a son, his own likeness, after his image, and called his name Seth. Therefore, it wasn't just Adam and Eve made in the image of God, so were all of his descendants. And the days of Adam after he begot Seth were 800 years, and he begot sons and daughters. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. You'll find, as we go through this genealogy, that there is a kind of rut, if you will, a routine that he goes through. He says, this person lived so-and-so years had children, and then lived so and so many years after that, all together living for a grand total, and he died. Separates it BDAD, before delivery and after delivery, and anybody that knows children understand that. Life is different before you have kids. Life is different after you have kids. And I think uh, the writers just kind of come along and say, hey, life's different. 
uh, at this point. And so that's what you got. This is, <clears throat> and by the way, for you to have a long life after having kids is indeed a mercy of God. All right? Uh, to be able to live as long as these guys are doing. Um, and so that's what's going on. And so you see that repeated over and over. What you have here, as we look in view of human history, the first mark. There are three marks we're going to look at in human history that I believe still apply today. And then in this, we find this, that there is a fatal refrain. A fatal refrain as we look at human history. You notice, uh, and he died, verse 5. And so we look at a son, Seth, which means appointed. Perhaps maybe I've had the seed appointed to me where it wasn't Cain and Abel. Maybe this is the one that will reverse the curse. Seth lived 105 years and begot Enosh and Enosh. And Seth lived after he begot Enosh 807 years and begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. Now his son Enosh, uh, interesting enough, uh, the, the name uh, Seth appointed Enosh means man, like Abel means man. And then Enosh has a son, Canaan, a form of Cain. We'll see a family name starting to be repeated. Enosh lived 90 years and begat Canaan. Enosh lived after he begat Canaan 850 years and begat sons and daughters and all the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died. Okay? It's okay you didn't understand me there. You can read this, get the point. He died. It goes on. Another character, to whom I cannot pronounce his name, uh, lived, had sons and daughters, and he died. Verse 15, you have this wonderful name, uh, Jared. Jared uh, lived, verse 16, 830 years, begot sons and daughters, and he died. You get the picture? You see, there was a question. I mean, if you're going to live 930 years like Adam, you start to wonder. God said that I was going to die. He died fiercely at that moment of his disobedience. Now, 930 years, at the end of his life, he dies biologically. Yes, God's word is true. And all of his sons will do the same. And we get the point. The sin of Adam and Eve is going and passing on to every generation. Sin brings death. That is the result. That was the idea that Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 17. He says, For by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more than those who received abundance and grace and gift of Jesus of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Death reigns. And the fact of the matter is, we could go to the newspaper this morning and look and see the genealogy still continue. So and so lived so many years, and they had so many sons and daughters, and they lived all together all these years, and they died. But it'll be much more flowering than that today. But this is the Genesis account of, of what we got. And so that is the sad truth that every one of us will know that death comes in. It was uh, about three years ago, uh, my family and I were in the mountains of uh, Tennessee, the Smoky Mountains, and, and hiking up there. And, uh, we were, it's a beautiful area. We enjoyed the mountains. And we were walking out. And I heard some rustling off the trail, uh, kind of curious about things. And so I kind of wandered off the trail, looked out, walked out down into the woods. And, and I could see a dark, uh, shadowy, big uh, animal of some sort uh, ambling through the woods. And I uh, watched for a little bit and noticed that the sound was getting louder, the image getting larger. And so I said, uh, Julie... You know, go on, take Molly, walk on down the trail. Think it's a bear. And uh, I just kind of waited there at the trail, just you know, 
guy. And sure enough, this bear comes walking up to the trail. And uh, evidently some previous person left some kind of food of some sort. And uh, he comes up and, you know, I have the disposable camera. So I feel responsible for taking a picture. And so uh, I, you know, I didn't come unprepared. I, I brought with me my African club. And uh, I had this little deal in one hand. And I reached in my pocket and I got my little pocket knife. And, I, you know, I'm sitting here with this bear and I have a camera. And so I'm kind of taking a picture. My wife, you know, she's saying all kinds of stuff. And, uh, and I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, it's kind of a curious thing. It's not often you get to see a bear outside of bars. And, uh, you know, I just kind of thinking, I can get a better picture. Get within 17 feet of this bear and take a picture. And then I'm just amazed that I'm here in this place. I mean, how many times has this ever happened in life? And, uh, you know, a bear starts motioning my way, walking my way. I'm thinking, this is good. And so I, I start getting my club and doing this little number, you know, walking as slow as I can and, and uh, get out of there. Nothing, nothing bad happened uh, uh, outside of just a lot of things could have happened. And it wasn't until later I was, I was reading books, you know, like when animals attack and things like that. Uh, you read these records of what bears can do with folks that have guns, you know, and how these bears just demolish people. small them. They just defigure them in so many ways. And I was just thinking, man, you know, it's like you get trembling, you know, three years after the fact. You're like, oh, you know, I realized I had just brought my stupidity level up to a whole nother <laughs> realm altogether. And what I did, and I think right now that some of you are just ruled out asking me any kind of advice and counsel. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, that, that's what I did. I, I can't deny that's what, that's what happened. But you see, here's the thing. My meager attempts. Of my little, my stick and my little two-inch knife uh, was going to be such a futile effort if the bear ever decided to attack me. Let me tell you that every single one of us is going to face a bear in our life. You may call it cancer. You may call it a car accident. It may be a stroke. It may be a heart attack. It may be just old age. But it is a bear that is in our way that every single one of us will encounter. And I'm going to tell you, it will be a fatal encounter. And we may have our little sticks and our little two-inch knives and thinking, you know what? I'm going to take death on and I'm going to be okay. We call it religion. We call it living a good lifestyle. We call it being a good family person. But I'm going to tell you, it has a less chance than my club and my knife in taking on death. The end result will be disaster. And there is a fatal refrain throughout all history that will echo in your life as well. Yes, every funeral we attend, we can't help but think for that little thought to cross into our mind. Someday, someday, it will be my funeral, and my family, whom I've yet to meet, and friends I do not yet know, will gather together and remember for a few moments and sing some songs, and then they will go home and eat potato salad, and life will go on for them. And one day, that will be me. Yes, that is the mark of human history. There is a fatal refrain. But you know, we keep reading, and we find something strange that occurs. We kind of get used to this, this refrain as we read Genesis 5. And then all of a sudden, we, we come across a character in verse 18 named Enoch. And then we 
find that after Jared dies and, and Enoch comes. Enoch's a great name, by the way. I almost named my son Enoch. You know, I want to be biblical. Jared, Jared's uh, son in the Bible is Enoch. It means dedicated. I said, that's great. Then one of our church members asked me how, how uh, the eunuch was doing. It just ruined the name altogether. And so now we've just, there's no right to And now, now we've got Evan instead. Uh, and my wife is much happier about that. Uh, but nonetheless, we, we've got this character, Enoch. And he lives 60 and 5 years and has a son, Methuselah. Enoch. You know, at this point, we're used to the, the, the frame being this. They had a son, and then they lived so-and-so years. But you don't have that phrase, and you lived so-and-so years. But what do you have instead? Well, <laughs> guess what all together gets different? Verse 24. Or, or verse 22. And Enoch walked with God. All the others just lived. But Enoch walked with God. I wonder what you're doing. Are you just living? Are you walking with God? Well, what does that mean anyway? To walk with God. Well, we find that it has an interesting result. Um, we walked with God. And then we get to verse 24. After 365 years, Enoch, again, walked with God, and he was not. For God took him. This gets even more interesting, doesn't it? Because we're, we're used to the phrase, and he died. But there is no such phrase. Well, what does that mean? He took him and he was not. Well, Hebrews comes along and gives us a little explanation of what's going on. It says in, in Hebrews 11, 5, By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. It was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Enoch did not die because, and the only reason why we have that he did not die is because that he walked with God for 300 years. Well, that's piqued my interest. What does it mean to walk with God? Simply this. It is a lifestyle characterized by devotion to God and communion with God. To walk with God, a lifestyle characterized by devotion to God and communion with God. Evidently, he realized that there was more to life than just living. And he sought out his creator. You know, he would have been in there in the lifetime of Adam. He could have talked with Adam and heard from Adam what it was been what it was like to be in the Garden of Eden when sin was no longer there and his heart could have yearned after hearing such stories. And he lived his life walking with God as, as if you get to the point where, where God says, you know what, Enoch, you've kind of walked along with me so much, you're much closer to being home with me in heaven than to go back uh, with the family and earth. Just kind of come on with me. Don't go back. And you know, get this. All kinds of visualizations that come to our mind. Just remember that this is what you call anthropomorphic language. It's not that, that means language that's, that helps men understand it. It gives God uh, man-like qualities. God is a spirit. He's not a person that he could, or a body that he could walk. He is a spirit. But it gives us language to help us understand what it means to commune with God. And, and so we understand what it is to walk with somebody. And so he tells us we need to walk with them. What is this whole lifestyle, or this thing of Enoch telling us? Well, if all the generations before tell us that there is a fatal refrain, 
The life of Enoch tells us this about human history. There is a hope for life. There is a hope for life. If Enoch can walk with God and somehow avoid death, then that provides hope for all of us, does it not? There is a, a way that we can do this. How do we do this, Enoch? Unfortunately, this is all we really know about Enoch. There's very little that we do know. We do know that he was a, a prophet. Uh, Jude 14 refers to him later on, uh, uh, prophesying about the end times. Not just the end times of the flood, but the end times of what you and I have yet to experience. That he prophesied. His son, the name Methuselah. That's a funny name. Well, you know, there's a possible uh, meaning to this name. Not everybody's really clear exactly what the name Methuselah means. Uh, one possible meaning is this, that when he dies, it will come. When he dies, it will come. If you were to trace the life of Methuselah, you will find that he dies in the same year that the flood comes. Could it be? If his name does mean that, that is a big question. But if it does, could it be that he, Enoch, was prophesied to the generations that would come after him through his son by his name. Warning everybody that judgment will come. Isn't it interesting that Methuselah, as you look at this list, is the oldest living man recorded? Isn't that interesting? That the one that means warning, judgment has come, happens to live the longest? Why is that? Does it not teach the great breadth of the mercy of God, the great length of the mercy of God, to give every opportunity for people to hear the word of God and to listen and take heed? Indeed, that is interesting. And so it lets us know, what does it mean to walk with God? Well, you know, I've got a, a dog, Roscoe. Uh, he's, he's a big dog, and I have to walk him. Uh, He's about 90 pounds, half German Shepherd, half Lab, and uh, we did not select this dog. We did not uh, go out to the store and pay money and, and said, hey, we want a dog and we want this dog. This dog was given to us. It was put upon us. Uh, and as such, uh, it grew into a monster, and, and uh, we have enough time to maintain the dog, but not to train the dog. <laughs> We've got him to sit. He comes when he wants to, so he's not really trained. Um, so it is indeed uh, a challenge to walk this dog. Uh, he, you don't walk him. He pulls you. Uh, and you can see me going up and down the road being pulled by this dog, this behemoth of a, an animal. And so uh, he about pulls your arm out of socket, and I thought, you know, this just can't continue. Uh, I'm the only one that can walk him. It's an upper body, lower body workout all together. So I thought, you know, let's get a... A new device. I got this choker collar. Didn't really work too good. You know, it just made me feel bad for what was going on. I discovered this new device called the Gentle Leader. It's a wonderful little tool. And the way it works is it has this little loop that fits over his nose, gives him plenty of space to breathe and eat and everything else. And then it has another part that, that goes right on, on top of the crown of his head. And so it acts like reins. Now, this is wonderful. All I've got to do, and, and I just give him a little tug. And it responds, the pulling days are over. We can walk side by side. As long as I've got this rain on that he can uh, respond to. Well, let me share with you a passage that speaks to this. Here's what I found in my life. If I want to walk with God, there are times in my life when I need a rain put on me. 
Because I have my own way. And I don't want to listen to God. And I said to God, you know what, that's fine and dandy for someone else, but this is how I'm going to live my life. You know what, let me take you to Psalm chapter 32. In this passage, verse 8, God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eyes. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and brittle, lest they come near unto thee. In other words, God is saying, you know what, I've got a plan for your life. I've got a direction, a way that you should go. Don't be like a horse, like a mule, that has to have reins put on me. God put instead of me a sensitive heart that I may respond and not have to be disciplined just to follow God. That's the point that he's making. And that's why Jesus says, Come unto me, all you weary and heavy laden, take my yoke upon you. For I am gentle. In other words, take my yoke. It's going to lead you to a good place that is better than the one you put on yourself. To walk with God means to follow his direction, to make his concerns your concerns, your passions your passions, his hearts your heart, his hurts your hurts. Is to walk with him. But you know what? One of the other reasons I don't like to walk with the dog is because it stinks. He just stinks. We had him in a car, took him to Anderson Park, and it just smelled up the car for days. So you know what? You know one of the reasons why we don't walk with God? It's because God can't stand our presence. We stink. How do you smell good before Him? Before a holy God? When we are so bent on living for ourselves. I'm going to take you back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, 5. It refers back to Enoch and how he walked with God. He did it by faith. And he says, by faith. He says, you know, it's impossible to please God without faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. For he must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. How do you smell good before God? It's done by faith. You believe that he is, but you don't just believe that he is. Even the demons do that. You must seek him. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In other words, that God is a treasure worth living your life for, and you model your life seeking him, and you believe in that which is not seen and that which is not yet. It is done by faith. And so he says in Hebrews chapter 11, going on referring to Enoch, that he walked by faith. How did he get to avoid death? I'm going to tell you it's the same way. By faith in God and his provision for his sin. Enoch was a sinner. He inherited that from Adam. Uh, so it wasn't a question of his sin. It was that he believed that there was forgiveness for his sin. There is hope for life. Listen. We'll keep on reading here. There's another character that we've got to pay attention to as we study this passage together. It says, well, Methuselah lived 187, begot Lamech. And after he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. Lamech lived 182 years and had a son. And he called his name Noah. 
saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. Now, some of you remember uh, Lamech. Well, that was in chapter 4. That Lamech was the, of the seed of Cain, who was of the lineage of Cain, the seventh descendant of Adam. And there in chapter 4, we find that that Lamech introduced bigamy as well as proud of murdering others and saying songs, boasting of such, as well made little of God's word. Lamech represented the crown of depravity that occurred through Cain. And though consequently, he refers back to Seth and Genesis at the end of the sport, says, In those days, when Enos was there, they began to cry upon the name of the Lord. In other words, this was the generation, this was the lineage that would produce the worship of God, that would, uh, would uh, be the central hub for that. And so we have a contrast with Cain, Lamech there. By the way, the seventh descendant of Adam on Cain's side, Lamech, the seventh descendant on Seth's side, Enoch. Providing a contrast. And then you've got Lamech here on Seth's side of the lineage. And here he makes a son and gives him the name Noah. Notice this cry? When we look through history, not only do you see a fatal refrain, the death that occurs, but you also see a hope for life. But not only do you see a hope for life, you also, in looking at human history, see a cry for redeemer. A cry for redeemer. This is what Lamech is doing. You remember, Lamech, 50 years of his life, when he was 50, Adam died, according to this genealogy. Adam died when Lamech was 50. He was able to talk with Adam and hear about Genesis 3.15, how God made a, a promise for seed that would come. He remembered these things. He knew of these things. Seth would have died soon thereafter. And now Lamech, looking forward and saying, you know what, we haven't had him yet. We haven't had the one who would reverse the curse. Maybe it's my son. I'm going to call him Noah. Noah means rest. Rest. He says the idea, the one who will comfort us. It's concerning our work and the toy of our hands. Remember when God uh, confronted Adam and Eve with their sin? He said, Adam, from this point on, you will, the ground will be cursed. No longer will it produce Fruitfully for you, but you will you will have to live on your work, and your work will be laborious, and it will be uh, painful, it will be a struggle from this point on to the end, until I say the curse is over, you will fight with earth just to have your livelihood. The toil of your hands become the ground which the Lord is cursed. Maybe this is the one who will comfort us. After begot Noah, the Mech lived 595 years, and had sons and daughters, and never seen Noah bring his cry to fruition. So all the days, 770 years, and he died. Noah was 500 years. Noah begot Shem, Ham, Japheth. And we find later on, the flood comes. Now listen, Noah never did fulfill the cry of his father. He could not fulfill Lamech's cry. You know why? Because scripture says later on, Noah, and he died. Friends, there would be one through Noah. Noah would preserve the seed of Eve. And one of his sons, Shem, would be the blessed one, uh, the blessed lineage. And of that, of Abraham. And of that, of Jacob. 
And of that, of Jacob's family, would be Judah. And out of Judah's family would be a David. And out of David's family would be one who would come, the son of David, who would reverse the curse. And this one, Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of, of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Abraham, the son of Shem, the son of Noah. This would be the one who would die on the cross, being the lamb, the able sacrifice, in Genesis chapter 4, being that one, reversing the curse by his death and resurrection. And just think, what if Jesus was put in this little genealogy list? Jesus, begotten of Joseph, or begotten of God the Father, through Joseph and Mary, lived 33 years, and he died. And he rose again. That would be the end. There would be no more, and he died. And just by the life of Jesus, he stands in great opposition to the genealogy list in Genesis chapter 5. And listen, listen, here's the best part. I, I cannot stop reading this. I love reading the end in Revelation chapter 22. Remember the next cry? Maybe this would be the one that restored the earth from that curse. At the end of time, Revelation chapter 22. Referring to the presence of God, and in the presence of God, verse 2, he says there's a tree of life. When the tree of life removed from the Garden of Eden, we find it once again, bearing 12 banners of fruits and yielding their fruit every month, and the leaves of the trees before the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and a servant shall serve him. Here you have the next cry fulfilled in Revelation 22.3. Maybe this will be the one who will bring comfort. No, no, it's not the one, but Jesus is the one who died on the cross, and by his death, by his working in life, praise God, there will be a day and time when I'll experience there is no more curse. There is no more presence of sin. I will no longer have to battle with myself and the problems that I have. It's been removed. And I will serve God in a way that I've never yet dreamed of here on this earth because I've been hindered by my selfishness. Friends, here's the beautiful thing. What Enoch had, walking with God, was it unique to Enoch. It's something. Because of Jesus Christ, you and I can experience as well. We do not just have, have to have life living some 30-some years, having children living some 70 or 50 years after that, and then we die. We can be as such that, yes, we were born so-and-so, lived so-and-so many years, had so many children, but at this moment in time in life, there was a heavenly encounter where we had a confrontation with God, and we surrendered to God and said, God, it is your way, and we experienced the forgiveness of of Jesus Christ, and in that moment of time, spiritual life was reborn, and yes, there will be a moment of die, time when I will die, but listen, it is just the shadow of death that I now go toward, and after passing the shadow of death, there is life as I've yet to experience it, and for all those who know Jesus Christ, but I'm going to tell you, eternal life does not begin when you die, eternal life begins at the moment when you know God as your Lord and Savior, and you start walking with the eternal one. What's your life characterized by? It's pretty simple. You ever pray? 
You ever just sit down and talk with God about the things you're dealing with? Or is this something you do before you eat? I'm going to share with you, if you don't pray, you don't talk with God, there's very little faith in your life. There's very little faith in your life. There's very little communion with God. And there's very little pleasing of God. It's just a simple activity that we know we're doing that just reflects our communion with Him. Are you walking with Him? Are you living for Him? Are you just biding your time and trying to have fun until you die? It can be so much more. Let's walk in the way of Enoch. Knowing the hope of life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this this record of life. Lord, it sounds so familiar once we get past all the names, get past the years and totals. We see the same fatal refrain. Yet some reason, some way, we get surprised when the doctor calls us and tells us there's nothing more they can do. Lord, you're warning us and letting us know we too will die. But yet in this same passage, we see that there is hope for life. That we can walk with you by faith. And Lord, when Lamech cried for I don't have to anticipate and wonder. I don't have to cry for it. All I've got to do is just look back in history and see the Redeemer lives. Father, I thank you that I live in such a time and age as this, but thank you more importantly, Lord, that I have a Savior such as you. Someone who will redeem the time, who will redeem the labor and, and energy spent and futility as I'm trying to make a living. Father, who will redeem my life that is no longer just destined for death, but instead can be destined for eternal life. You redeemed my life from the waste of this cursed world. God, I pray that every single one here will know that not just as some idea, some word that they've heard, but they would know it in reality. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that has not acknowledged their sin before you and asked for forgiveness, and made you the Lord and Savior and that which they would seek for as the treasure of their life. God, I pray that you speak to their heart. Lord, that they would turn from mere living to walking with you. I pray this in your name.